Welcome to the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Series podcast. Each week, we'll learn from leaders who are driving change and making an impact. Now, here's your special guest host, the content manager for the Business Journal, Jeremy Leidick. Hey there, Brain Gain Nation, Brainiacs. Welcome to another edition of the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Podcast. I am Jeremy Leidick, content manager at the Business Journal and host of Brain Gain Navigators. How are you? Did you have a good 4th of July? Did you get out and see some family and friends? Maybe for the first time in a while? I was over at the in-laws and it was the first time in over a year. It was very nice. Plenty of good food, lots of good conversation. To be honest with you, kind of had to take a moment to get used to it. You know, took some warming up with everyone, which was kind of strange. Usually we just dive right in with hugs and handshakes. But it was the most people I've been around in a social setting since the pandemic really got going. Uh, but it was good. Everyone was happy to see each other and couldn't have asked for a better day for it. I hope yours was good, too. So let's get down to business. In the July edition of the Business Journal, we paid tribute to area vets with our annual Salute Our Veterans special, which included a feature on attorney Daniel Rossi. Rossi is a World War II veteran who served six years with the U.S. Navy Reserve. After his military service, he founded the Rossi and Rossi Law Firm here in Youngstown, where he practiced until he was 81 years old. His career in law is something he attributes to his military service, which he says provided the training and discipline necessary to be a successful lawyer and business owner. Now, I had the honor to sit down with Mr. Rossi a day after his 94th birthday for this interview at his home. We talked about his childhood living on the east side of Youngstown to Italian immigrant parents, his first job with the Youngstown Municipal Railroad Company when he was just 12, and his time in the military and life as a civilian. Rossi gained some powerful insights from his experiences, which he shared with me, and it was a real pleasure to have the opportunity to chat with him. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Daniel Rossi. Enjoy. Mr. Rossi, uh, tell us a little bit about growing up. You're a lifelong resident of the area. Tell me about yes, growing up. I'd be very happy to. Uh, I was born on the east side of Youngstown to a, a house mother, uh, midwife, as they were called in those days, on the east side of Youngstown. And it was a, an area that was frequented mainly by uh, Italians that came from Italy. And so I grew up in that type of an environment. Significantly, and the thing that I remember the most is that because I was born uh, uh, from immigrants uh, from Italy, who did, uh, except for my father, my mother did not speak English. Consequently, I grew up speaking only Italian. Oh. And I went to uh, what would be 1C kindergarten speaking Italian, which is, uh, as you might suspect, a very great disadvantage um, uh, in that area. But I learned English uh, in school, and I taught my mother uh, enough of English to become a citizen. So I grew up in an Italian-oriented community, much different from today. 
the street that I lived on, nobody ever locked their homes. They were all, all very friendly. They all uh, inter intervened in, uh, on a friendly basis in their homes and uh, helped one another whenever, almost because of necessity, because there was a, a great deal of prejudice at that time about foreign people. Uh, so people that spoke and came from uh, Europe needed assistance and help and protection. And, and they, they, they had wonderful neighborhoods as a result thereof. Gotcha. So I grew up uh, and uh, I went to a great school in Madison and ultimately ended up in, at East High School, so, which uh, was a very uh, significant thing because I'm, at that time, was six foot three inches tall. And I could remember when the basketball coach at East High School saw me walk into the building, he was elated, he was excited, but to no avail because I did not play basketball, I worked in high school. Uh, I, uh, at East High, I would be discharged at two o'clock and I went to work at two o'clock every day. Where did you work? I worked for the Youngstown Municipal Railroad Company. My father was also an employee of that company, and he's the one that got me to work for them. And there were a lot of highlights of working for Youngstown uh, Municipal Highway because in those days, it was, it was during the war, World War II, we were taking out railroad tracks for the arms, for the, for the war effort. And uh, my father got me a job because in order to take out the railroad tracks, they had to have men would break up those with sledgehammers and so forth. And they, and as you know, they would move uh, forward as they removed the railroad tracks. And the men all needed water. So I was a water boy. Okay. Uh, but I was 12 years old and six foot three and, and hired. And the significant thing that happened during that tenure was that in order to get fresh water for the workers, I would have to go ahead in the neighborhood. And in those days, everybody had pumps, wells, and to get water. And I was uh, attacked by a, a German police dog while I was in the process of exploring for new water. As a result of that attack, I was taken to Beulah Hospital, because uh, this was in Pennsylvania. and. And I remember when my boss came to visit me in the hospital, he didn't know I was 12 years old and he was so upset and worried about the legal consequences. I was 12 years old and they paid me 25 cents an hour to do that work. But I wow. started working for that bus company, um, Youngstown Municipal Railroad Company. And in high school, I scheduled all the buses during the war effort and, and uh, in order to perform that function, I had to determine what the bus load or case load would be and schedule buses accordingly to the load. So I worked for them and when I went to the, uh, enlisted in the Navy, I was an employee of the bus company. Okay. Most importantly, when I got out of the service, went to law school, I represented the president of the bus company in his personal divorce case, and his son was in some other trouble. So th that was working for the company. I started working when I was 12, 
and worked almost straight through my life until I retired when I was 81, you know, when I tried my last jury case at Mahoney County. Okay. It all, so, came first, all came full circle for you. It came full circle. So, but, uh, so tell, me, tell me about your dad. Uh, my dad was a wonderful person. First of all, he was a very strong, masculine guy. Sought a better life by coming to America. America was very popular in terms of, 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 of the Europeans to come here because America represented an opportunity for improvement. The Europe was rather stale and it didn't, didn't provide that. My dad came to America from San Vito, Roma, which is an outskirt of Rome, when he was 16 years old and learned American very, uh, English very quickly and became an American citizen, and then he was drafted almost immediately. As a result of the draft, he went to and he fought for the American Expeditionary Force. They, they took him back when they declared war in World War I. He left America and went and fought for the, uh, as an American against the Germans. And in the course of that, uh, war was entirely different then. Uh, the war uh, nowadays has some fact limitations. In that day, they gassed one another. That was an ordinary thing to do. Horrible. So he fought in the Argonne Forest effort. He was gassed while there, and he lost his sense of smell. But he survived and, and, and came back to America, of course. Uh, and that's his helmet over there uh, that he wore. So he served America and was very proud to do it. He thought America was wonderful and he, he served with, 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 with allegiance to America. So growing up with him was very important because uh, he saw to it that, uh, that, uh, that he watched me grow up and I had a nine o'clock circ uh, view, and I and he would he had a distinct whistle that you could hear all over the neighborhood on each side. Remember, this was in 1927. Um, uh, I was born, so I grew up right after that 1927. There were no cars to speak of. Every life was quite simple. We boys would grow up on the east side and we belonged to a club called the Angel's Roost. There were six of us from our neighborhood, same age, and we all served in the Second World War II for America. So we're very, very proud. My dad would whistle, it's nine o'clock, and I would get my carcass home. <laughs> and I never got into trouble. We, 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 we performed pretty well, and he saw to it uh, that I was subjected to men who spoke great English because on the east side, we were handicapped. We were not uh, taught English as well as the people from north side and south side. But uh, he, he saw to it that I grew up working for people who were intelligent and successful, and he was right. I learned from them and went on, as, uh, as we will discuss later on, uh, to work for the bus company. And uh, because of my dad's doing, I was subjected to people who was influential in my life and taught me a lot. 
And I can say that to you with comparison because the other five guys in the Angels' Roost didn't have that opportunity. And unfortunately, they were not as successful as I turned out to be. And I attributed it mainly to my dad's ability to know that I needed help growing up and that he couldn't provide the necessary ingredients to do that. And he subjected me to intelligent people with the bus company. Gotcha. Yeah. So tell me about when you were growing up and you saw your father and he served in World War One. Yeah. Uh, what kind of impact did that have on you uh, to go ahead and impact. get enlisted at 17? First of all, uh, Pearl Harbor uh, was attacked in, uh, in 1941, I think it was. I was 13 years of age. When you're 13, you don't really understand the problems of the world. My dad explained all that to me, but he was very opposed to my going into the service because he felt that war was hell, and it is hell, and it's unfortunately uh, was terrible. He wanted to prevent me from going into the service, but there was no way of doing that. Uh, but he was very reluctant for instance, when it, uh, uh, later on when I decided I wanted to, to enlist in the Navy, very reluctant to do so because he didn't want me to go. He, he had been through it all, and as I mentioned earlier in our talk, uh, war uh, was, was they, they, they did things to kill one another for no damn reason at all. Uh, they were gassed all the time and terrible. So. He was opposed to my going, uh, but eventually uh, I persuaded him to allow me because as a minor, when you enlist as a minor, you have to have your parents' signature. Yeah. And, and, but he finally relented because uh, he knew uh, that I would ultimately have to go to the Army, and I didn't want to do that. I preferred uh, the, other, the services. But I wanted to be a pilot. Now, at that time, I was 17. I was six foot three, weighed 182 pounds. So he went with me, and we had a the Air Force had an office in the downtown Youngstown enlistment mm -hmm. office. And the enlistment officer, after hearing seeing me, turned me down. He said, "You're too big for the cockpits of today's fighters." So I could not enlist in the, in, the, in the Air Force. Consequently, we went to the Navy. But my dad was opposed to it because he knew, uh, he, he liked to avoid my going to service because at that early stage, this was a little bit before the war ended, uh, you know, you could, get, you, you could get killed. And I was his only son and he was very reluctant but he knew that I had to do something in order to avoid the Army, although he served in the Army with a lot of allegiance because he loved this country and he loved what this country, the opportunities that it provided for people that came as immigrants from Europe. So uh, he, uh, he, he, was, he, he knew all this, and uh, uh, as a result, I enlisted in the Navy before I was 18. 
Now, you, you were eight, 17 at one time. Do you know what you know at 17 in terms of the world situation? You know very little. Very little. And you couldn't care less. So I, uh, you know, I needed help and he provided for me. But uh, he was very cooperative in finally you know, allowing me to enlist. Tell me about one of your experiences serving uh, in the war. Um, what's, what's the most significant memory? Well, the most significant uh, memory I have, and I have to take you back just a bit. When I enlisted in the uh, Navy, uh, I immediately went to uh, boot camp. And boot camp was only six weeks, eight weeks at the most. And during boot camp, they put you through various vigorous training uh, matters pertaining to the Navy. Now, I, I couldn't swim. But I was the captain of the uh, athletic ca captain of the company, but I, I was able to jump off this 40 foot terminal and turn on my back and I could back paddle. But, but be that as it may. When I went first went to the services, uh, it, it was very, very uh, difficult. At 17, I'd never been out of Youngstown. I mean, I was secluded here. And there's a new experience, so there was a lot of fright involved in what, where you were going to go and so forth and so on. So after, after boot camp, the last couple of days in boot camp, they gave you a, a, a test to determine what, where you were going to be assigned and what you were going to do as a sailor. So I got called in and I sat down across from the ensign and he said, uh, we have examined your papers and so forth, and you have a, 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 prol a prolificity toward math. And we therefore want you to go to radar school in Pensacola. Now that one, I thought, boy, that was fantastic. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you get an education. And uh, we didn't have no other way. The war was, uh, was, was beginning to wind down and end. So he said, uh, but since the Navy is going to spend an enormous amount of money on your education in Pensacola, Pensacola on radar school, you have to enlist in the regular Navy for six years. I had, up until that time, I had enlisted in the United States Naval Reserve. And there I sat, I just turned 18, I didn't know what was coming off, and that's an awful early age in your life to make major decisions of that consequence. So I looked at him and he looked at me and we were silent for what appeared to be an hour, but it might have been a minute or two. And I didn't have anybody to turn to to seek advice and as to what I ought to do. Because it was very attractive to go to Pensacola, a great art school, uh, at that particular time in my life. And I finally came to the conclusion that I couldn't do that because I didn't want to tie up six years of my life as a sailor. That has proven to be the most significant decision I've ever made at, at that early age. And since I turned them down, in three weeks I was in the Philippines. <laughs> they didn't like what it, So that's my first impression. And uh, the war was winding down. Now, this was in, uh, in June of uh, 40, uh, 45. Uh, the war in Japan went on, I think, until uh, August. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so I got shipped to the Philippines, and uh, for my first assignment uh, was uh, land, uh, land duty, because you know they have you have to bring supplies in to the Philippines, and and, and I was working to, to handle those supplies as they came in. But uh, and I was just turning 18, and I didn't know what the hell was going on, and scared every day of my life. 10,000 miles away from home. I'd never been out of Youngstown before that. A new experience, but I knew that it was a wonderful opportunity to serve my country. And my dad had taught me that this country is the greatest, and he knew because he'd been around a bit, the best country in the world. And I was happy to have the opportunity to serve. The Brain Gain is a collaborative effort, and we'd like to thank our headlining sponsors, including Farmers National Bank, Sweeney Chevrolet Buick GMC, the Mahoning Valley Manufacturers Coalition, and Southwoods Health. Also included are Eastern Gateway Community College, PNC Bank, the Moransky Companies, the Mahoning County Career and Technical Center, the Youngstown Business Incubator, Simon Roofing, the DeBartolo Corporation, Youngstown State University, and Junior Achievement of the Mahoning Valley. So I know you were aboard the USS Cape Johnson. I was. Can you tell me about some of your primary duties aboard? Uh, yeah, ship? sure, I'd be very happy to. Uh, now that was after the war with Japan ended. And don't forget, we were fighting uh, Japan in all various islands in, in the Pacific. In the Pacific, incident, it was beautiful. It's just as the word indicates, Pacific calm. It was fantastic. And I served there, That's a, it was a troop carrier. Uh, the ship was built in uh, four, 43. And I think by the Johnson & Johnson Company. And it was a troop carrier. And at that, when the war was ended, we were moving troops from island to island, and changing things like that. And it was my duty as a sailor to, to make sure to, do, to handle the ship and handle the troops that we were transferring from island to island. So we did a lot of island hopping. But uh, uh, how we uh, ever... You know, the, the, won that war, and we won it, of course. But how Japan ever decided? Japan's a very small country compared to America, mm -hmm. where they had the audacity to attack America in Pearl Harbor. Why would they do that when they knew that ultimately America itself was 10,000 miles away? And they, there's no way they could win a war against a, a giant like that, and which proved to be true. But they were they were forced to do that. And at the time, I had nothing but hatred for the Japanese for what they did to Pearl Harbor. You know, we lost what three thousand men in Pearl Harbor, or perhaps more. The Arizona still leaks oil. Have you ever been there? No, sir. Well, if you get an opportunity. Go how they attacked us, but they did. So uh, I, I had a hatred for the Japanese that I had. In fact, when when I enlisted, it was with the 
intense hopeful that I'd get an opportunity to kill Japs for what they did to America. Why they did that, I'll never justify. Politicians are the root of our problem with wars. Politicians, they lie to sustain their position, and we have no way of disproving it at that time. And that includes the, the Vietnam War and the Korean War. And certainly this crap that we've gone through for 15 years in, in the Middle East, uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, we have no business doing that. I mean, we tried to change their way of life to conform to ours, which is a mistake. They lie. So, uh, so uh, but it, propaganda was immense in my day. Uh, you can't believe some of the propaganda. One of the biggest things that I remember uh, is that uh, uh, the government announced that an airman fighting a file of flying a fighter pilots drove his fire his plane down a smokestack of a Japanese battleship that never happened it was never true but it was that kind of thing that get, had me inspired I was looking to kill Japs to get even do you still have that hate in your heart for the Japanese no 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 I do not have that hatred people are wonderful and that includes the Japanese people there's no reason why we did what we did to Hiroshima, and I'm going to tell you why. And this is very, the belief is unpopular. When I was in, in Japan, before the war with Japan ended, we were slated to drive American troops with, uh, in the LCT, which is a landing craft in, in, for the invasion of Japan, and it was predicted that we would all get killed. So, and that included me. But... They, they dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. The war ended in eight days later. I was safe. But in retrospect, now that I look back, we killed 120,000 Japanese as a result of dropping those two bombs. Why am I critical? We dropped them on civilians. And, then, and before that happened, Wars were fought by armies, army versus army, with the possible exception of Hitler setting all of those V2 things over in England, London. They could have dropped those bombs on military establishment and established the same damn effect. They killed people, 120 plus. They burned so many people, scarred for life. So... Uh, no, I don't have hatred for the Japanese people. They have nothing to do with, most people don't have anything to do with wars. It's the politicians that get us into the wars and they control the facts. And they release what they want that benefits them. So uh, 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 I visited Japan. My daughter became a doctor as part of her uh, pride. We went to Japan. And I want to tell you, 13-hour flight, many people were sick on that flight, and I helped the, the, the ushers take care of the people who were vomiting and so forth and so on. When I landed in Japan, 
the six or seven people that were in, in charge of taking care of the passengers formed a, a greeting in, at the airport only to greet me as an individual and applauded me and thanked me for the service that I provided. The other, the other thing of, of note is I, I'm six foot, I was still six foot three then. Right. They thought I was a basketball star, star in the streets of, and they would come to me to sign. And I would rather, so I signed my autograph rather than explain to them that I was not a basketball <laughs> star. Yeah, so uh, the Japanese people are wonderful people, very articulate, very clean, and it was a damn leadership that got him into trouble. And the same thing with Hitler. The Germans are wonderful people, and if it weren't for the Hitler, they would have never tried to do what they did. Right. And, and, and Roosevelt was president when the Germans, Hitler was nuts. And we have to be careful that we don't elect nuts because we, we have a propensity to elect popular people for different reasons, which may include that they are nuts and we don't know that. So we have to be careful because it, war is hell. And, and uh, maybe we could avoid it, but at, at any rate, Roosevelt said he would never send American troops to defend foreign countries. Guess what? When it was, and, and, I, and I kind of believe it, and when it was needed, he changed his mind. We lost 462,000 people in World War II. 462,000 people. Mm -hmm. But it had to be done because he was nuts. He was nuts, and uh, we were we were in jeopardy, I guess. Okay. So, uh, tell how many years were you in service? And tell Third, me about coming I would, home. Pardon me. Tell me about when you came home and oh, uh, met your wife and and, and started yes, your practice. I'd be very happy to. I served for thirteen months and most of which time was uh, peacetime. But the Japanese always continue to fight afterward and all, all those items, they, you know, they, 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 they but uh, coming home, uh, came home, uh, we recently passed in the stimulus bill, um, billions and billions of dollars to payable to business. Do you know what the government gave us when we came home from after serving all that time? It was the 5220 Club. $20 a week for 52 weeks. 5220 Club. That's what, you know, how negligent they were about taking care of us. At, I was 16, 17 years old, 18 years old, 10,000 miles from my home. And at 17, what the hell do you know? You know, it's hard for you to take care of yourself. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But uh, when I came home, uh, of course, I lived with my parents, and uh, I had lost my mother when I was in high school. That was another significant thing in my life. And at that day, stepmothers were different. They were a little bit meaner than they are today. Mm -hmm. Nobody should lose their mother. The, nobody. If you have your mother with you for the rest of all your time, and if you die in, in, in accordance with your age, your mother dies first, you've had your mother all your life, you've had a wonderful, wonderful stimulant of protection of life and uh, help you make decisions. But uh, uh, I came home and uh, 
we were, I, I was 19 at that time. And so uh, the question of what, were you, what are you going to do? And remember, uh, immigrants didn't have any money in those days. Today there's money, all, you know, immigrants are wealthy and we'll tell you. Because one of the good things that happened beside the 5220 club, when we came home, you were able to go to college free for a specific period of time depending on your service. Well, that principle has allowed many people to go to college and become doctors, lawyers, accountants, nurses, and work all the rest of their life at high wages, paid an awful lot of income tax, and that was very important. So that was very, 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 very good. So I, I had to decide to answer your question. What was I going to do? And I remember reading in the Vindicator that they were opening for pre-law students and uh, things like that. And I also had a neighbor, Ken Osborne, a great Irishman, uh, who lived in my neighborhood. He and I would argue about everything. And, and, and as a result of that, he said, you know, you, you, you've got to be a lawyer. And so, and that's, at, at that time, there was a lot of ent entries of begging a lawyer, and it wasn't uh, uh, too demanding. And uh, today, you have to have four years of pre-law to be a, uh, well, in that, in that day, only two years were required. And the money was scarce. Uh, so uh, I decided uh, to, to go to college, and I went to Youngstown, and that time it was a college. Right. Well, uh, that's important because uh, it, it was a few barracks, camp rentals in Sharon was the shipping off point for our soldiers to go to Europe. And so th they bought some of the barracks and going to Youngstown College, you had a couple of buildings. They had the main building though. And wind would whistle through the cracks in those barracks, you know. So uh, I went for two years, the pre-law there. And, uh, uh, and I was brought up with the Catholic faith, uh, although my interest in religion has diminished considerably because there are so many wrong things that happened in this world that should have been prevented or cured. Uh, uh, I went, uh, we decided Ohio Northern was a Protestant church. I think the the tuition was uh, like $150 or some kind of mm -hmm. thing, something like that. So we went to uh, Ohio Northern, applied there. They took us for two years pre-law. None of this LSAT test and testing. And pre today, you can't get into law school unless you pass all these tests and so forth. Plus, cost you $200,000. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so I went and I had about a, I had I, I served I thirteen months and and uh, was able to uh, uh, get comparable tuition and the dean liked me and he made me he put me in charge of the library so I paid for the rest of the tuition but uh, uh, it, it was quite an experience and uh, becoming a lawyer was a wonderful thing at that time. Uh, so I was very successful. They offered me uh, a professorship at, at Ohio Northern to teach uh, upon graduation, and then I turned it down. They paid $4,400 a year. I mean, so I became a lawyer. 
and uh, met my wife when I began to practice in Youngstown. Uh, she was a secretary to a lawyer next door, and she's of Greek ancestry. Uh, we had five children later on, but I've I forgot about the old, remember the old saying, beware of Greek swearing gifts? Well, I, I apparently forgot about that because we were married and we had five children. Unfortunately, one of our child was very ill at birth and uh, he was hospitalized during my early career uh, 38 or nine times with a leukemia problem, but he had many, many other problems. And in those days, even as a lawyer, I didn't understand malpractice, so nothing was ever done. He lived until he was 56. He became an accomplished guitarist. He brought joy to many people. What a wonderful young man. At any rate, uh, my wife and I were married and, and had children, uh, of whom uh, uh, one's a doctor, one's a lawyer, one's a, uh, runs a bank, and one, uh, they're, you know, they're very, well-educated people, and, and she did a good job in helping me raise the kids. And we've been in this house now 50 years. Wow. And I want to tell you how things changed. When we first moved here, you know, we're very close to the city. And I said, okay, Mayor, we'll do it. But 10 years, we're out of there. You couldn't move me out of here with the bulldozer now. I love the area so much. What's, so, your, uh, what's your wife's name? I'm sorry. Uh, Mary. Mary Ross Vanis, yeah. How do you and, spell that? I'm sorry? How do you spell that? R-O-S-S-V-A-N-E-S. -S -S. Yeah. Thank you. And, and, and you know, uh, she became afflicted with Alzheimer's and uh, my daughter, Lisa, whom you've met, is the principal care care, but I have a lot of help. Now, in the practice, uh, it was very difficult. Uh, in that day for two good reasons. Number one, uh, as uh, going to law school, you learn a lot about objective things, but you don't learn how to practice and make money and make a living. So uh, you come out into the practice and, uh, and uh, b there was hardly any business around. To speak of today, there's plenty of legal business uh, to, to occupy lawyers. So uh, you didn't make any money to speak of, uh, but uh, we, we, we stuck with it and we developed a law practice as an individual. To this day, we have a firm called Rossi and Rossi, my son's a lawyer. Uh, I, I practiced law until I was 81 and tried my last jury case when I was 81. And he continues to practice and uh, uh, we have never spent five cents on advertisement because we think advertisement, based on our observation, is, is false and phony. And that, I believe, is to be the truth. Most of the lawyers that advertise, not all, most all, most of them advertise, they get the business, they farm it out to an experienced lawyer, thankfully, because they don't know what's going on. And it costs so much money. So, uh, uh, we, we, uh, I, my, my grandson now is in, the, in our firm, and he has a brilliant future. He's the son of the mayor of Girard. My daughter married him. He's been mayor of Girard 21 years. Wow. 
I mean, he did, and he does a fantastic job, and, and he's, 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 he's honest as the as the pure as the as the white of snow. He's fantastic. So uh, uh, it, it was a very difficult time, but I, I was one time I can tell you, uh, very big in divorce work. You got to get Dan Rossi. I had 56 open cases, divorce cases at the same time. And Judge Leskovansky allowed these, when you're litigants in, in a divorce court and, and you live in the same house because you can't afford two separate homes during the pendency of the case, a lot of arguments. So they, you know, they, it was horrible. So I quit the private practice of divorce work and concentrated on accident cases and uh, did very well. Tried a lot. I tried more cases than I think any other lawyer in Mahoney County, mainly accident cases. And uh, often asked, well, why did you go into the personal injury work accidents? And so that's where the money is. So, <laughs> and and we, we became lucky and, and uh, were able to afford good medical care for my wife now and so uh, it all worked out but it's part of the training that I received and the discipline that you are subjected to in learning about life in the service that I have was as successful as I have become and along that line uh, I lived through that period of time when I was 17, 18 and you're not fit to be an individual and make serious decisions. Therefore, I urge that we have construction, uh, uh, const what is the word? Constructive? Yeah. For, serve, everybody should serve their country after high school for one year because it, it, has, it affects everybody. Number one, you, you're a year older when you're done. You're better able to make serious decisions as to your future, which are very important because and critical. Because you know, you know, you make decisions at 17 or 18, you're stuck with them for the rest of your life. So it's important that you have enough time to learn about all that. And certainly, it, it, not, not perhaps right at this day, but normally it alleviates the working of uh, the job hunting. And, 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 and it also teaches you, while that service, one year that you serve, your love of a country, you have an attachment to your country. You have done something with your country and for your country. And it provides a reservoir of, of soldiers in case you ever need another war by land. So I, I think that uh, we should, everybody should be required mandatorily to serve their country. Because what I learned when I was 17 and 18 in behalf of my country is irreplaceable and what could have never happened. And it helped me, and it, it helped me significantly in the development of my future. So even with your experience in war and the experiences that you had yes. uh, serving overseas, um, you would, you're, Proud of your service, and you would certainly uh, recommend people to uh, enroll. Oh, absolutely. All right, folks, 
I'd like to thank our official Brain Gain sponsors, Farmers National Bank, Sweeney Chevrolet Buick GMC, the Mahoning Valley Manufacturers Coalition, and Southwoods Health, as well as the members of our Brain Gain Coalition for making this and all of our exclusive Brain Gain content possible. I'd also like to thank again Daniel Rossi and his family for welcoming us into their home. Such a great opportunity to speak to someone who has his perspective. Always, always, always make time to talk with the older generations because you can learn a thing or 20. For more of our Brain Gain content, go to businessjournaldaily.com and click the Brain Gain link under Workforce Development on the website. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.